Uh, stay standing as we uh, read Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 13, and uh, that is on page 820. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's some Bibles in the seats around you somewhere, and uh, you, can, you can open to page 820 and follow right along uh, with the passage, Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 13. Amen. This is God's word. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you, um, whether it be uh, your, your word um, and all the promises that are found within it, um, or as Hebrews says, that uh, you have spoken to us uh, through your son, Jesus, um, that, that no word of yours uh, fails. Um, it never falls. Um, it never fades. It will forever endure. So we thank you for that confidence today in your word that we here in a new year, in 2024, uh, can look at your word and say it's the same word, same promises, same God, and we can not look at our own circumstances and, and gain confidence, but we can look at your word and your promises to us there and have great confidence in a God who cares for us, God who loves us, and a God who has sent his son, Jesus, to die for us so that we could be redeemed from our sin. And we pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Today is not gonna quite be your uh, New Year message. If you're looking for, uh, to, to leave motivated today, um, as, you have, as we've seen already, as we've read, uh, this, this ain't that text, is it? Um, so we're, we're looking for, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what God's word has to say to us through this story about John the Baptist. We see a, a, uh, in today's text a clash of two kingdoms. We really see two kingdoms clashing together. In fact, spoiler alert for you, maybe kind of behind the veil a little bit, much of what Jesus defines and commands against in his kingdom in Matthew 5 through 7 contributes to the death of John the Baptist. And so if you go back to Matthew 5 through 7, you see those things that Jesus lists out in that sermon Many of those things are present right here. Uh, let, let's see, disregard for the law. There's a disregard for the law. There's, there's anger. There's lust. There's adultery. There's an oath made. Uh, there's revenge and hatred. And so many of those things, really interestingly, I don't think by accident, 
are present in this text that Jesus has already stated. These are things that do not mark what my kingdom is all about. So it's a really interesting thing, another, another good way for us to see the scriptures as really one cohesive message, one message that is not in any way divided, not in any way uh, contradictory to itself, but one that continually supports itself. So Jesus, what we're going to see in this text, that Jesus is a truer and better king with a more genuine and consequential kingdom. And as we'll see, that's, this is at the heart of what John confronts Herod about in verse 4. So verse 1 tells us, if, if you go back to, again, we, we really encourage you to, to have a Bible in your lap there. Verse 1 tells us that Herod hears about this kingdom. Herod hears about Jesus and what's going on. Look at verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. So this is one of the very few, uh, if not the, the only stories in Matthew that that doesn't seem to be directly about Jesus. Now, don't, don't hear me wrong. It's not that Jesus isn't here because Jesus is actually kind of what launches this whole narrative. The, the works of Jesus and Herod's response is kind of what launches it. But this is a section that is kind of rare throughout the Gospels where it's, it's about a figure, primarily about a figure other than Christ. Now, that's, that's not an accident. It's not unintentional because, as we know, John is no inconsequential figure, is he? John's a pretty big deal. Jesus has said that himself. The scriptures have shown us that. The prophecies in the Old Testament tell us that John the Baptist is coming. John the Baptist claims that's who he is. Jesus claims that's who John the Baptist is. He is the one of whom Jesus says, among those born of women, there, uh, there has arisen no one greater in Matthew chapter 11. And so Matthew intends to honor John the Baptist as a faithful witness and even as a, as a martyr for the cause of Christ. That John is coming before a wicked and powerful king, and John is giving his life for the cause that he came for. But the narrative does begin, as we talk about, the narrative does begin with a report about Jesus that has reached the ears of Herod shortly after Jesus' own family and his own hometown have rejected him at the end of chapter 13. And so here we see it not in the Jewish leaders nor in his family, but from the one who had likely been given delegated authority by the Romans to govern the Jews. That's, that's Herod. Now, there's just, the Bible just doesn't say a whole lot about Herod. Uh, we tried to kind of dig into to who Herod was. There's other Herods. This doesn't seem to be the same Herod as Matthew chapter 2, but likely is the same Herod at the end of the Gospels when Jesus is being crucified. Likely that same Herod. But we, we just don't know a whole lot more about that. Some records outside of the scriptures will say that, uh, that, that, that Herod was given delegated authority by the Romans to govern the Jews. That's, that's kind of what we know. If you know more, please share with me because I just didn't dig too deeply into outside sources of scripture to, to really get that information because I don't think it's as significant as some of us may want to make it. But if you've watched The Crown, anybody watch The Crown? Not trying to just, you know. If you've watched The Crown, or if you know anything about, like, the monarchy, uh, super, super interesting stuff. If you know much about royalty, you know, how, how, you know that insignificant or unfounded news doesn't really make it to the ears of royalty, right? The, 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 the king or the queen is not briefed on the maniac outside the gate with a bird on his head, Right? Uh, maybe around the water cooler later in that day, the, the king or the queen kind of hears, that, yeah, there's this dude out there, but the queen doesn't have to make any statements, right? Queen isn't briefed on it, or there's no like national security thing. Uh, the, the drones will get the guy if they need to. And so there's, there's no briefing or anything like that. And so this insignificant or unfounded news doesn't make the news. Kings aren't 
briefed on those kinds of things. And so this is what Herod seems to get. He seems to get a, a, a kind of report that demands a response because Herod responds, right? Herod says to his servants, he, he, he ousts himself, he ousts himself because he gets this legitimate report and the response that he gives tells us how seriously he is taking the report, report of this power that he doesn't, he doesn't realize it, but the power that belongs to Jesus. And so we see that in verse two. Let's look at verse two. Verse two says, and he said, Herod said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. And so verse one tells us the report reached the king. And verse two tells us that the reports were serious enough to get Herod talking kind of crazy. That Herod's talking about John the Baptist. Now, according to his response, according to what Herod says, Herod is publicly stating that the claims and the power of Jesus are valid. He, he may not know it, but he's, he's definitely saying something's going on. I've heard about it. I've heard about it from reputable people and the people who are telling me there's real stuff going on out there. Now, he just refuses to acknowledge that it's Jesus and who Jesus is and who Jesus is who he says he is. It seems, it seems in his response that Herod might be a little bit uh, haunted by what transpired with John. And he believes that John's been raised. Now, this is fascinating because Herod kind of checks the box of an extremely spiritual person, right? Uh, the, the, he acknowledged that there's, that there's miraculous powers going on, and he even claims, Herod claims resurrection. He, he claims that a resurrection in, in his mind, in his heart, is a possibility. Now, where did Herod get this idea? Where did he get this idea? Well, John 10, this is really interesting as I was kind of studying about John the Baptist. John 10, verse 41, I think I have the, the scripture up there. John 10, 41 says, many came to him and said, John never did a sign, but everything John said about this man, this is talking about Jesus, was true. And so Herod has no reason to believe. He had, he's never seen John do a sign because the Bible says John never did a sign. He, he never did any kind of sign that would have caused some rumors to go about that John was this miracle-working person. And so Herod he hears about these reports, and he has some reason to think that John the Baptist had this kind of power. Well, some people think that, that maybe John says this because he has a guilty conscience, uh, and, and that may certainly be the case, but maybe this is also a, somewhat of a, of a moment of God's wrath against Herod. And, and I, I want us to look at what Romans 1.18 says. Romans 1.18 says this, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all, un, against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Could we say that what Herod's doing here, whether he realizes it or not, is suppressing the truth about who Christ is? He, he hears about the power of Jesus he probably knows who Jesus is. I would, his daddy probably told him, hey, there's this guy that I tried to knock out when he was a baby but didn't work. So as you take, as you take over here in the next few years, just watch out because he's coming for your kingdom as well. Herod probably knows about Christ, but as Romans 1.18 tells us that unrighteousness is something that suppresses truth, that Herod is suppressing truth. This is Herod being deeply deceived and duped by his own sin that we're going to be reading about here in just a few minutes. Now, kind of a, a break. We're going, to, we're going to address a couple of things that seem to be really helpful for us. So uh, the pastor, uh, Paul tells Timothy uh, both to preach and to teach, right? 
First uh, and Second Timothy, he gives Timothy a charge to preach, which, uh, which typically is connected with proclaiming the gospel, uh, being clear about what the gospel is, but he also tells Timothy to teach. And so there are, there are moments where as pastors read and study the Bible that we see the things that are going on in our culture and in our world, and we see that we have people in front of us that God has called us to shepherd. You're not just, you're not just here to have your head filled with information, uh, but, but God has also called us to teach, which, which many times in, the, in, in regards to the Bible means to apply God's word to his people. And so we're going to see some things in this text, and, and we're going to try and grow in this and be stronger in this as pastors to help us to see how God's word really relates and applies to things of today. And so notice that, notice all of the affirmations of the power of, and the works of Jesus, especially those who hate him. Notice all these, all these works, all these powers. It would have been far more expedient for those who hated Christ, those who did not want Christ to, to rise in power. It would have been so much more expedient for them who wanted to silence Jesus to just flat out reject his works or to ignore them. And yet, what does Herod do? He, he, he ousts himself. He says, no, these things are real. These things are legitimate. And he starts talking crazy about a guy that he cut, a guy that he cut his head off saying that he is risen from the dead. And so you have rejection of who Jesus is and you have the power by which he does them, but his, his works are unavoidable. People have rejected who he is. They've rejected by what power he does it. The Pharisees said that it was the power of Satan. And, and here you have Herod saying, well, it's John the Baptist. And so what's not going on is nobody saying that Jesus isn't doing this stuff. Jesus is doing this stuff. It's happening. Now, here you have Herod rejecting who Christ is, but embracing some kind of other spirituality. And later in Luke 23, Herod mocks and treats Jesus with contempt to his face, and a final time rejects Jesus. Herod later is going to see Jesus, and he says he, Herod dresses him up and sends him back to Pilate, and he mocks Jesus. So the scriptures say that, say of those who refuse to acknowledge God, says this, that since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. And so if we read those two verses together that we just, that we just read, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Herod's an example of this. Herod, his unrighteousness, his sinfulness has suppressed the truth so much that he cannot see who Jesus is. Psalm 14.1 says it this way. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. There's no God. Herod, Herod refuses to accept that there's someone who's higher than him, especially on earth, especially that, that, Herod's, that Herod may be sharing power with. Herod is rejecting the very son of God, but it is also true that his sin is catching up to him. His sin is also catching up. Let's read verses three through 12. So if you're in Matthew 14, we're just gonna read kind of the rest of this section. It says this. For Herod had seized John and bound him. So real, real quick, notice that you've got these first two verses. Herod's hearing the report, um, and then it seems like Matthew is kind of going back, saying, hey, here's, here's the backstory. So, so here's Herod, 
this is John the Baptist raised. Matthew's like, oh yeah, let me tell you about what happened to John the Baptist. Here's, here's, why, here's why John the Baptist is dead. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. So what I want to know, first of all, is why VeggieTales never did an episode on this. I don't know about you. I'm just thinking about, you know, there was a real missed opportunity here. Um, in fact, uh, if, you, if you notice your kid's clipboard this morning, page two is actually a coloring page of John the Baptist beheaded. Oh, all of you are like freaking out. You're like, no, 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 just kidding. There is no picture of that. But it's here in the Bible. It's here, your kids have heard it. There's no coloring page. There's no VeggieTales episode. But what Matthew commits the rest of his, what Matthew commits the, the bulk of this text to is, is honoring the boldness and the significance of John. And I want us to see it because it's, it's a tribute. I believe it to be a, an, an honoring of the life of a, of a martyr for the sake and the cause of Christ, for the glory of God. And we see here, and, and let me just say, church, this is not without implications. When we preach and we teach, we preach what the text says. That's my main priority. But we also see that this has great implications, and the Lord, by his spirit and his goodness, wants to teach us something about life, about faithfulness, and here about boldness. And so we see all throughout the Gospels, Herod's contempt towards Jesus Again, he, later he finishes what his dad started in Matthew 2. And here we see Herod's contempt towards God's messenger. And he, we, we see God's, uh, Herod's contempt towards God's law. You, you see that because look how, look how Herod, the, the reason why John's in prison is because Herod's been indicted according to the law of God. John uses the law to indict him, to, to tell him what you're doing is wrong. Herod believes himself to be God. Many of the, these, these kings and these emperors and all those people believe themselves to be God. So, so all that God's messenger and God's law confront in Herod will not be tolerated. It's not gonna be tolerated because Herod says, I'm king. I'm, I'm in charge. I'm king. And so John takes this unpopular evangelistic approach. Uh, he takes this real, real unpopular approach and he tells Herod that he's guilty of breaking God's law. Now, in a lot of you know, modern evangelistic methods, you don't, you don't do that, right? You, you tell people how much Jesus loves them, which is true. Uh, you, you tell people how, how great they are, which, you know, I, I don't know if that's true. Uh, but but you, you let people know all these things. And John takes this approach with this, with this guy who doesn't know God and says, you are a lawbreaker. And I believe John does it out of love. I don't, I, I, there's no indication anywhere in the ministry of John where we see that what John is proclaiming is not done out of great love for, for those that God would save. And so John is, 
John is taking this approach, that he, telling Herod he's, he's guilty of God's law, and, and in so doing, he's proclaiming the lordship of Christ over Herod. He's saying there's a lord and a king that exists over you. There's, there's someone that you are submissive to. And so not only is Herod guilty as a sinner, John says, I think what John's saying is, Herod, you are a lesser authority. You, you, have, you have lower authority than the one who gave you the authority that you even have. There is a higher king than the king. There is, there is authority that he has that has been given. In church, our sin does something similar in our minds. Our sin does something similar in our minds in convincing us that we are God and that we need not submit ourselves to a higher king. That we can manage our sin, that we can manage and we can endure the consequence of it only to find ourselves in the end ruined by it, which is what, what happens to Herod. John's gospel message and proclamation from day one was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, which is Matthew 3, 2. And I imagine that that is at the heart of John's rebuke towards Herod here. That at the heart of the rebuke is you are a lawbreaker. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. You are an opponent to the kingdom of God. You hate God. You hate his law. You even hate his messenger. And we see the climax of that because John loses his head for it. So Matthew highlights this story not just to show John's faithfulness to God's law, but to highlight the boldness of John in speaking truth. Now, Paul later instructs Ephesians, Ephesian Christians, we'll see it in Ephesians 5.11, he, he later instructs Ephesian Christians regarding sexual immorality and crudeness. This is kind of in the context of, of that, Ephesians 5. It's talking about crudeness and, and filthy talk and sexual immorality. And Paul, Paul tells the Ephesian churches, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Calling these people to be proactive and bold in their culture and their society with stating what is true and, and, and not buying into the lies. In, in her book, Five Lies of, of Our Anti-Christian Age, uh, it's just a light Christmas read a couple weeks ago. Um, Rosaria Butterfield, uh, she, she says this, unconfronted lies have made a big mess for us. They pervade our public culture as well as those evangelical churches that have been taken off course. If our approach to dealing with the contention of these tough times involves telling or repeating lies to keep the peace, we are contributing to the problem. Why? Because lies cannot be tamed. Lies do not coexist with truth. Rather, they corrupt it. And, and I, would, I would say she's a, a, a very qualified person because in the remainder of this book, she shares her own testimony. Of, of coming um, out of the homosexual lifestyle to faith in Christ, walking with Jesus because of the truth that was so lovingly but boldly proclaimed to her by a, pastor, by a man who later became her pastor. And now, today, she's not married to him, but married to the, the man who pastors her church. Um, and just a beautiful story of, of redemption. And so what Rosaria is doing for us is, is really helpfully and intellectually engaging much of the lies that our modern culture champions regarding marriage and gender and sexuality. Y'all didn't think there was a text about marriage, did you? But there's a lesson about marriage because John, the, the law that he's talking about has to do with God's law about marriage and, and the immorality of, of Herod. And so 
this is a, a challenge for us today as Christians and is relevant to the example of John in today's text. So let me just say that as much as the culture wants to, to bully Christians into thinking that addressing these things makes you a jerk, you're only being a jerk if you're being a jerk. Can I say that? It, it, addressing these things and, and telling the truth about what is right and, and rejecting lies does not make you a jerk. Now, is there a way to do those things by being a jerk? Yes. Sorry for a little uncomfortable here, but we're just going to kind of, like I said, this ain't your New Year's message, so uh, New Year, New You, right? So what, what is right is that rejecting lies and being faithful to God isn't being a jerk as long as you're not being a jerk. Now, let me say something else, because I think this is also relevant to today. Just because, just because we may post online about any number of topics doesn't make us bold either. So, so telling the truth doesn't make you a jerk, but posting online and, and, and ranting on, on there, which I don't think we've got any of those. I, let me just say, I'm saying this because I'm, I'm a recovering one of these, uh, if, you, if you've kept up with me long. Um, but, but just know that, that posting online and uh, about any number of topics doesn't necessarily make, make you bold, doesn't make you a prophetic voice in this age. We should see from the example of John. Just look at the example of John, that when we are dealing with lies, we are dealing with actual people. We're dealing with a person in front of us. Look at John. The, the boldness that the scriptures commend in John is a boldness to where he is in the, the, the throne room of the king, and he's talking face-to-face -to, -face to the king, and later he pays, he pays deeply for it. And so this kind of boldness is the kind of boldness that Matthew wants us to see in John. That he's, that he's being bold. So, so we don't have a boldness. I, I was going to kind of take a poll. You know, what, what words come to mind when you think of John? Let's do it. What words come to mind when you think of John the Baptist? Prophet. Yes, he, yes, that, that is true. It's a true statement. Was it? Wild. He ate locusts, honey, and, and all that stuff. He had hair. He dressed in what kind of hair? Goat's hair? Camel's hair? Yeah. He was a servant? Yeah. Faithful. Faithful, yeah. Out, outspoken, well-spoken, is that what you said? Outspoken. Yeah. I thought of the word integrity. Uh, I... Someone look up the word integrity, like in Webster's. We don't need none of that, like, askjeeves.com stuff, but somebody, somebody look up in Webster's the definition of integrity. Yeah, it's probably been changed. It's probably been changed. Integrity. What, what do we have pulled up for integrity? Nobody has their pocket Webster's? The quality of being honest and having strong moral principles and moral objectives. There you go. Wow. Whole and undivided. That's, that's, what we, that's what we say, you know, that's what, I think that's what we can say of John the Baptist. He's a man of integrity, a man of boldness, who was committed to his Savior. Uh, he, 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 he knew God's law, um, and he applied it here. Uh, by the way, there's, there's, there's a lot for us to study about the law of God. Uh, the Bible says that the law of the Lord is good. It's perfect. That hasn't, that hasn't changed. That doesn't change. Remember, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Um, and that did nothing to the quality of the law. The, the, the law is still good for us. Now, that doesn't mean it saves us, right? The law should make one of the, one of the main ways that the Bible... By, by the way, the Bible says a lot about the law. 
one of the things that it says is that the law shows us our need for salvation, our, law, our, our need for a savior, uh, that we are saved by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. That's what the word tells us. And so again, we, we should see from this example of John that when we're dealing with lies, we're dealing with people. And so, like, what does this look like? And I know that I'm going to give three examples, and, and some of these might be somewhat uncomfortable, but they're, but they're real. Like, they, 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 they exist, and if we're dealing with people, then, then I want us to be ready. What, what this might look like is the friend, your kid, the, the kid that you've worked so hard to, to like, be cool around, right? I, I know my kids are getting to the age where I'm just trying so hard to be cool around my kids, but, but what this may look like is the friend that your kid brings home or that coworker who demands that you be, that, that, to, demands to be referred to by another name or, or another gender, and you show, this is what this looks like, you show love and hospitality to that person, but you refuse to lie. You refuse to, to buy into the lies because truth and lies cannot coexist. One gets thrown out. Lies do not coexists with truth, rather it corrupts it. Now, what this also may look like, it may make some of us uncomfortable again, or on the other side, is being ready for literally whoever walks through that door. Being ready for whoever walks through that door, welcoming them as Christ has welcomed us. Romans chapter 15, having them in your home and sharing the gospel with them in love and in concern for the truth and for their soul. And then thirdly, I think this is a challenge for us, being as articulate and prepared and bold in the things of God and in our understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ as we are in anything else. Man, like if you know how to analyze culture and you're like a, like a sociologist, uh, sociologist Christian or whatever and, and all those things, but like you, you know very little about the gospel and you couldn't share the gospel with someone to save your life, that's, that's not the truth either. That's not leading people to what the truth really is. And truth and lies cannot coexist because lies corrupt the truth. And so we must be as articulate and prepared and bold in the things of God and in the gospel of Jesus Christ as we are in anything else. So as we are seeking to be bold in this truth, don't forget what the foundation of the truth is. That's the gospel of Jesus. It's that you can be free. Yes, God does want to change you. That's a, man, that's a, that's a really unpopular message in our culture. Yes, God actually wants to come in and he wants to change your life and he wants to take you uh, from one degree of glory to the next. And he wants to see you grow and he wants to see you flourish and he wants to see you become all of who you are, are intended to be because he created you. And one day he will make all things new. As Kevin often says, even me, even, even me, even us. And so for this boldness, John goes on to lose his life. He goes on to lose his life. An entire section of Matthew's account of the life and the ministry of Jesus is dedicated to, to John and his witness in the world. I, I love what one theologian says, and I'll, I'll share that in just a second. But Herod, Herod goes on only to have his throne filled with another wicked king. Herod dies, another wicked king takes over. There couldn't have been two more contrasting pursuits between Herod and John. It was of John who it was said early in his ministry that John said in 3.30, John 3.30, uh, John the Baptist said in the gospel writer John chapter 3, verse 30, that he must increase, but I must decrease. There could not have been two 
more contrasting or opposing visions for what life and rule and reign was. One theologian said this about this narrative. The tyrant dies and his rule ends. The martyr dies and his reign begins. That's what, that's what John the Baptist, that's what's happened in the life of John the Baptist. Herod dies, he's a tyrant, his rule ends and somebody takes over. The martyr dies and his reign begins because he's with Christ, he's with his savior. So the passage goes on to say, let's, let's read the, the, the last verse here. This verse, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there on a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. So the passage goes on to say that Jesus was told about it, and in response, he withdrew to this desolate place by himself. And the Bible tells us of the affection that Jesus has for John. And so it makes sense that Jesus is going to withdraw because of the love that he has for John and the weight of the moment that he, he feels. Because it doesn't only tell us about the affection that Jesus has for John as God, but it also tells us about the humanity that Jesus took upon himself, right? And, and, it, and, and, and you put these two things together and you have a, a savior who can sympathize and feel all the weight of the grief that loss brings. And John pulls away or Jesus pulls away because of this report of his cousin, John the Baptist. And he, he grieves because he feels the way to this moment. He's, you, you know Jesus, uh, as we said through Advent, Jesus did not subtract deity, he added humanity. Um, and so there was nothing subtracted from the, from the, the nature of Christ's deity when he became a man. Uh, what, what happened was he, he added to himself flesh. He added a human nature to himself he was eternally God, but for this time, he was man, and the scriptures tell us that he's able to sympathize with us, and he can only sympathize with us because he became man. Um, he can sympathize with us in fullness because he was tempted in all the ways that we are, yet without sin. He felt all the weight of loss, of grief, and that's where Jesus pulls away. So among his final words, Paul tells Timothy, I don't know if I have this. Paul tells Timothy this, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So the godly life was marked by many things in this time. Um, this isn't just about spiritual people living winsome lives in the culture, okay? Like, this isn't about just, you know, well, that guy, I think he's a Christian, so I'm just going to go persecute him. no. Um, the godly life was marked by many things that the Bible tells us. And so this isn't just about this spiritual life. They were, they were active in an out-of-this-world holiness that set them apart in the world and that often confronted head-on the lies um, and, and the ways of the lost world. Uh, John, John Mark Comer lays out five things that marked the early church in a time. If you've read Rodney Stark, he talks a lot about the early church. Um, and so Comer is just kind of highlighting five unique things that marked the early church in its time and made it so effective in its world. And so when John says, or when, when Paul tells Timothy that those who desire to live a godly life, again, he's not just talking about j just because like we're Jesus people. We are Jesus people, amen? But, but the Great Commission tells us to go into all nations, teach all that I've commanded. So, so Jesus proclaimed the gospel. Jesus 
accomplished that which is possible in the gospel, but Jesus also said more things than the gospel, right? He, he taught things. He taught things on how we're to relate with one another, how we uh, interact with those who are our enemies and those, um, and, of all, and then Paul goes on as an apostle. Jesus gave Paul his words and Paul tells us a whole lot of things. And so the godly life, just five things, there's so many more, five things are, 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 are these things that, that may have been a, a part of the godly life. I don't know if we're gonna get that. It's coming. Just want you to see them. I got it. I don't. Maybe I don't got it. I'll just read them. If it pops up, somebody hoop. Oh, perfect. Here were five marks of godly living in the early church that are found in the scriptures. Uh, they're found in church history. You can read church history. You can see these things. By the way, church history is good. It's not sufficient. It's not inspired. Uh, but it's but it's about God's activity through the world, through different cultures, through all time. God's always been faithful. He didn't just land us here in the. 21st century or wherever we're at, and, and poof, no, like, we're here because of the faithful, wit, godly witness of those who came before us. And so some of, these, some of these godly ways of living are, it was a multiracial, multi-ethnic church. It looked different. They, they, were, they, they, were, they were people who embraced diversity and people who said, you know what, like, God, God has come and he has purchased by his blood, uh, Jesus has come and purchased by his blood all people from all nations. And this was God's vision from the very beginning. They were spread across socioeconomic lines. They, they didn't, they didn't, they, they shared what they had. But, but then they were opposed to infanticide and abortion. Man, this was rampant in the culture. We're not gonna go too deeply into all that. They were, they had an otherworldly sexual ethic that, that marriage was exclusively between one man and one woman. They were nonviolent. They were a, a people who were marked by love for Christ love for one another, and a boldness for the world. And it was some of these things, not, not, just, not just like an ABC gospel presentation that people got killed for. It, it, it was that. People were sharing the gospel, but they were living lives like we see in John the Baptist. We, we don't see any, any, I'm not saying it's not there, it's somewhat of an argument from silence, but we see the reason why John lost his head is because John confronted the sexual immorality of the king. That was it. That's what the text tells us. And so I would add on top of these five things, confidence, this is what has to undergird undergird all of this, that we have a confidence in proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord over all things, that Jesus is Lord over all things, that someone, something, that God, to name name him, Jesus, is, is over all things, all spheres of society. My home, your home, our, our city, our, our leaders, there is a confidence that Jesus is Lord over all things. And so as, as we see, it was these kinds of ethics. By the way, these kinds of ethics that were rooted in the law of God, you, you, you kind of trace these back and you see, yeah, okay, I can see, yeah, these were, God addressed these in, in his own law. It was these kinds of ethics that marked a godly life and led men and women to giving their lives, like John. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, as we see in this passage, are completely at odds with one another. The kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God are all opposed to one another. It is, it is the very world and the setting that John 1 speaks of as, as the darkness. Remember John 1 talks about that he came into the world and the, and the world did not receive him. It says that, that, uh, that uh, I'm just gonna have to quote it. 
John 1, 7, he came as a witness. This is talking about John, this is, this is verse four. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It was this dark world that John 1 speaks of Jesus breaking into. Jesus broke into this, this dark world of immorality, of, of deceit, and John comes in, Jesus comes in, and is the light, and the darkness has not overcome Jesus, but Jesus had a messenger named John, and John came to bear witness about the light. And so, church, it is, it is this unjust death, I think, I think somewhat of what we're meant to see, beyond just the tribute to John the Baptist, it is this, it is this unjust death of this set-apart man, John the Baptist, that serves in its own way as a shadow of a more ultimate, unjust death of the Savior. So we see an unjust death in John the Baptist, but it serves only as a shadow that, that though Herod took the life of John the Baptist, Herod did not take the life of Jesus. You know why? The Bible says that Jesus had his life taken from him. No, what does it say? He laid his life down. Jesus gave his life. Who's the one in control? Who's the higher Lord in this situation? So that though Herod took the life of John the Baptist, Herod could not take the life of Jesus. Jesus laid his life down. And so as gross and unrighteous as this death is in Matthew 14, we ought to be even more shocked by the death of John's true king, Jesus Christ. That the true king died an even more unjust death for no sin that he committed, but for our sin. And it was his death that changes who we are from sinners. It changes we, we, we move from an identity that is marked from sinner, lawbreaker, fornicator, murderer, enslaver, liar. That's our identity before Christ, and Christ redeems us, and we become redeemed, beloved children of God. That is who we are in our identity, and it makes a way, Christ's death, for separated sinners to enter into God's family. And I'm so grateful for that. So may John the Baptist's boldness and his testimony point us to, hey, this is the way of the cross, this is the way of these Jesus people in this world, one who are marked, set apart, consecrated by holiness, and one ultimately who has trust in their Savior. Church, that's who we are. That's our identity. That's not just my identity. That is my identity, but that is our identity as a gathered people together, a people marked by trust and faith in the Lord and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the way that, again, it encourages and instructs us in these ways. Thank you that you have made a way for us uh, to, to know you, to be at peace with you, to know your son Jesus, uh, but, but also to know what it is that you require of us, what it is that you call for us to do as light in this dark world. So may we be a people who are committed to a, a boldness birthed from our new birth uh, because of what Christ has done. May we be hospitable people. May we be welcoming. Uh, may any who walk through these doors, any who walk through these doors of this church, be met with welcome, with, with love, with grace, with hospitality. Um, and, and, and Lord, would you just help us to, to in those moments where we're fearful, uh, where we wanna shrink back, Lord, just to, to, again, lovingly, clearly, and boldly share truth. Those two things are not opposed to one another, being welcoming and hospitable and being bold and truthful. And so help us uh, to, not, to, not be, to not be fearful of that in this world, as hard as that is, um, and help us to see that in the example of John 
the Baptist, your servant today. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.